Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, it's David Averin, and welcome to the Why Customers Leave podcast. You know, eating out has changed significantly over the years. Just in my lifetime, we've gone from the classic sit-down dining to drive up, to drive through, to order up front, and then sit down, and grab and go, and even a big growth recently in ghost kitchens. So what's new in the dining industry? More importantly, what's next? A real treat on the podcast today is I sit down with restaurant industry icon and chairman of Firehouse Subs, Don Fox. We're going to talk about where this constantly evolving industry is headed next and what that means to all of us in business. Talking to restaurant industry veteran Don Fox, it's David Averin on the Why Customers Leave podcast back in 20 seconds. Are you ready to future-proof your business? Well, sit back because customer experience expert David Averin brings you the Why Customers Leave podcast. Featuring outspoken thought leaders and business builders as they share their creative strategies for serving a new generation of customers and clients. Listen in, or you can watch the video version of the conversation. Now, here's David Averin. Hey, it's David Averin, and welcome to the Why Customers Leave podcast. I'm really excited about this today because it's, you know, there, there are certain brands, certain iconic brands that that you may frequent as a customer, ones that you admire as a fellow business professional. And, and this is one of them. I think the, uh, the story of Firehouse Subs was one that has been well told uh, many times. There's a lot of information online, but it, it's the, the leader behind it and the, and the insights. As I was actually talking to a friend who had suggested this interview, said, you know, there's, there, uh, there's, there's certain people who have been through the trenches and have seen so many changes over the years. And and the recommendation was, you got to talk to Don Fox. This guy has been through everything. Recently made a transition from uh, CEO and president to chairman of Firehouse Subs, but also some significant roles with um, the, the restaurant industry and restaurant leadership. Let me do a quick introduction, and then I'll say hi officially here. Don Fox is chairman of Firehouse Subs, where he supports the new president and the rest of the brand. He's a restaurant industry veteran of 50 years. He's worked for Burger King for 23 years and spent the past two, two decades at Firehouse Subs, including serving as president and CEO from all the way back in 2009 until recently in 2023. Under his leadership, the restaurant brand grew to more than 1,200 restaurants in 46 states, Puerto Rico and Canada, and is recognized as one of the best franchises in the country. Fox has been named Operator of the Year by Nation's Restaurant News, joining a long list of restaurant luminaries. He was also previously ranked number one on FastCasual.com's Top 100 Movers and Shakers list and received a prestigious Silver Plate Award from the International Food Manufacturers Association. Long introduction. I'm a fan. Don, welcome to the show. Great, David. Uh, great to be with you today. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, listen, you have been through so much and, and in sort of vicariously, all of us have as well, right? For those of us, uh, for all of us who've grown up eating out, uh, or now eating out means almost eating in with takeout or whatever that might be. Talk to us a little bit about, about your journey. And I really want to talk about the changes 
that have happened in the delivery model and how we look at how we access uh, food on the go, on the run, um, the, what was for so many of us just a special night out with family maybe once or twice a year has become an almost daily occurrence. Tell us a little bit about your journey before we dig into all of that. Well, sure. You know, when I, when I started in the uh, restaurant business um, back in 1974, uh, washing dishes in a little Italian restaurant in uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, fast food was really still in its earlier stages. When you think about it, the industry was only about 20 years old at that, at that point, it, given that most of the largest fast food concepts that we know of today really started in the 50s, yeah. McDonald's, Burger King, et cetera. And, you know, it wasn't that day and age wasn't that far removed from the start of, of drive-thru. I can, I can still remember the air hose bells going off when you rolled over them with your tires. Uh, that was, that was high tech at the time uh, to signal the arrival in the drive-thru lane. So yeah, I've seen both as a consumer and somebody working in the business, I've seen a lot of change over all these years. And, uh, you know, in, in, in some ways, um, well, it remains to, to be seen if it'll come full circle, if we start to transition back to more dining occasions. But uh, you, know, you the lead into your questions, talking about delivery and, and the, the, just the nature of how people are consuming food, it's, it's uh, changed in very rapid uh, order here. Pandemic spurred it along. You know, I, I've seen all this happen in, um, in, in, in real time. You know, it's just to relate it back to my experience with Firehouse more recently, well, recently over the last 20 years, everything's relative. Um, you know, Firehouse for, for many years was quite a bit different as a brand, especially in the sub sandwich category, because the majority of our business was dining. In fact, in uh, 2012, uh, we were about 53% of the business was dining in. And that, that was a bit different for a, a sandwich uh, concept. Sure. Uh, low sandwich was takeout. But really starting around that point, uh, not just for Firehouse, but the whole industry started to see gradual declines in the amount of dining business. And really, it's technology that has spurred all this. It, it's not just technology related to the restaurant industry. People have changed their patterns, their uh, viewing of media, how they spend their how they have they used their idle time changed dramatically, and that's manifested itself in different ways that people uh, can consume food and uh, you can talk for hours about it, both in the nuances, the macro and the micro, in terms of uh, the, the changes that, that that's brought about operationally uh, in in restaurants. It's made it much more difficult, I will say, for for the restaurant industry uh, today. Sure. Uh, you know, the the restaurant business used to be much more linear you know, in terms of people do it up. I mean, it was a line. Uh, and, and, and so the whole processing, the production, everything was uh, simpler. But now you have what, what I've uh, talked about for a long time as being simultaneous order arrival. And, and everybody in the industry is still, is still uh, I think, struggling with that quite a bit. Nobody's really got that nailed in terms of how to manage all these uh, you know, different channels of trade that are coming in simultaneously in, into the restaurants. Right. Quite well, it's a, it's also got to be difficult. I was, it's got to be difficult from a staffing perspective because you're training on multiple. I remember it was a big deal when you could fax in your order, but then you were hoping somebody who was making sandwiches would look over at the fax machine and have that available. So now you've got a real melding of sort of the manual process 
of putting food together and the technology of delivering orders and the tracking. And then you add the pickup or the delivery or the in-house. It's, it's got to be different with a very transient population of people coming in and out. Well, sure. Well, you know, managing uh, the guest expectations in this environment is increasingly difficult. And it puts a lot of pressure on the, on the team members, you know, in the restaurants. I, I think a lot of uh, people listening to this can relate to this. They'll, you go into a restaurant as a, I'll call it a traditional customer. You go to get online in a, in a restaurant. And, and maybe you're one of very few customers that are in the restaurant at that point in time. But the production area of the restaurant, especially if it's visible to you, is, is buzzing. You know, people are very animated and working on orders, and, but very few people in the restaurant. And if your service isn't fast, it, uh, as a customer, it can be very off-putting. You're like, hey, what, 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 are, you, what are you working on? Uh, I'm one of only a couple people here, and it's taking an inordinate amount of time for me to get my order. Oh. You're, you're, you're devoting your attention to people who aren't even here face-to-face uh, -face with you. Very difficult, uh, difficult for a lot of customers to understand and then very difficult for the team members to, to deal with because you, you've got that, that personal interaction, having that person in front of you eyeball to eyeball is very, is very powerful um, and, and, a, and a challenge. Uh, more, more difficult, I would say, in many respects to be in the restaurant industry today than it's ever been, especially for a, a team member. Well, oh, I, I can expect so. Um, I think we can also, we look at sort of comparing and contrasting the original simplicity. I mean, I, when you watch the, the movie, The Founder, right, with Michael Keaton uh, about Ray Kroc, that was so revolutionary, the idea of the takeaway and the wrapped in paper and stuff that you threw away, right? He was, you know, saying in the movie, right, now where's the silverware, right? That was a whole paradigm shop shift right there. But now everybody is expected to deliver in an omni-channel environment. Talk about the contrast between the traditional sit-down restaurant and how that's perceived in the expectations today versus a quick serve and a fast casual. Or are they all sort of expected to be able to do the same kinds of things? I, I think in many respects, uh, the expectation for the guest is that you're going to be able to execute in every element of it. Again, depending upon the nuances in the channel traits. So, so if I'm going into a fast casual or a quick service restaurant, and if I choose to be a dine-in guest, I expect that restaurant to fire on all cylinders with, with all aspects of that experience. You know, I happened to, um, I was just traveling uh, this past weekend up in uh, New Jersey, and I went into a uh, it was a national chain coffee shop. Sure. And uh, I'm sitting in the lobby area with my family, and uh, and a guest walks in. Another guest, and we were the only other people in there. So another guest walks in. Woman comes in, and there's a kiosk in the in the lobby with yeah. a, with a very um, overt sign on it. Uh, inviting the person to to use that technology to order, and and this was a not a not an older woman. I would say not young, but I'll just call it younger, middle aged. Uh, so so the technology shouldn't have been foreign to her, but she was very off foot by by the by this 
her interpretation was, this is where I have to order. Right. Her, her expectation was, no, somebody's going to take my order here face-to-face. And she was, as a customer, she was rather snooty about it and even makes, a, makes eye contact with us sitting at a table. Like, can you believe that they right. want me to use this? Like, can't I go order? And, and, and the manager of the location overhears it. And he's like, oh, no, no, you can, you can order over here. And the, the whole thing, it was so interesting as a professional watching it. Because I'm thinking this whole, this whole experience is a disaster. So, so because the guests coming in expecting personal service, uh, interestingly enough, the manager willing to to offer it, but there, there was there was such a disconnect, and the whole, and the whole thing ended up with the person with the woman walking out uh, in the end, oh. and this this seemed odd too because they wouldn't take cash. Oh wow! And this guy, so so again, so the customer walks in, they're expecting a certain experience in that case, you know, to be to be dealt with individually. Um, and then it it doesn't get it doesn't get delivered on to that. So, so do you see this? Do you see this as as an inevitable transition period? There will always be those who are the technology natives who appear who prefer to do things digitally, and then the older people in our category who would just give me an opportunity to a, for a real person. And is that hampered by the challenges? in labor shortage, or is it hampered by this enthusiasm for bringing technology in to replace the humans? Where's the, the balance and is it still okay, a loose? It, it, it's very complicated. In the, in the end, I think the, the driving, the main driving force is what does the guest want? And I, and I think brands are in a, um, not just brands, restaurant operators are in a, it's a challenging time because you're, sometimes you're picking and choosing. You're, and it's, sure. it's a complicated formula in terms of yeah, and I, I I don't even know the best way to phrase this. Not because what's best for the guest is generally what's best for the business. Uh, often one, I've seen one it would my, think. It, yeah. it one would think, but I've I've seen so many times uh, at various points in in my career with a variety of brands, uh, people that get they'll say what's best for the business, and sometimes it's not what's best for the guest, but it, it's they're looking at it so technically. Uh, I mean. And granted, there's tough decisions because it is very difficult to be everything to everybody. There, sure. there was a, a, a fast casual brand years ago uh, in the burger category that uh, tried to go capitalist. And it, it failed. The, the attack failed and they, and they walked away from it. Now, now in other, other parts of the world, there are brands, uh, some, some of the RBI brands, have moved much farther to digital because in a particular country, in a particular society, it's it's embraced by a, a larger Europe is much more like that right now. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and so in the in the US, I think we're still in this uh, gray area, this transitional phase. Eventually, and I think most people would agree with this, eventually over time it will be increasingly sure. digital and so on. But uh but it, no, to, to my knowledge, nobody's made that leap yet to where you can do it in a way that doesn't alienate a so vital, a, an important part of your clientele that you need. Sometimes that that uh, that amount of the uh, customer base that you're going to alienate is is the profitable piece in in the sense that you know that that that's that's the amount of business is taking you above your break even, and, right. and you're just you're just lopping off the cream if you, if you if you don't satisfy that. 
Well, you see, you see a lot of experimentation right now. And I don't know, it's not, it's not uneducated experimentation because there's certainly case studies and we're seeing this being um, adopted and, and um, embraced within other sectors of retail as well. But there's still a lot of sort of, let's try this out in a couple of locations. Let's do some test markets. Um, I might challenge that assertion that it's always, you know, the first criteria is what's best for the customers because there's a lot of people who are going to be resistant. Now, I also am not naive enough to think that there isn't an, an inevitability about all of it, you know, and the kiosks and, and replacing everything else. But it's, it's clearly a challenge. Um, how much do you think COVID, I mean, I think we understand how much COVID sort of drove some of these innovations, but how much is COVID, uh, and, and this podcast needs to be a little bit evergreen, but how much has it been a bit of a crutch in terms of um, brands delaying the implementation, delaying the return of seeding and some of those things as well? Does it giving them a little more, a little extra buffer time to get some of these things in place? I, uh, you know, I don't, I uh, think that um, it's it's really uh, delayed. I, I I think what the the main effect of COVID was it hastened changes in consumer behavior that were sure. and expectations. Yeah, because nobody uh, I I I always I always I always stop myself whenever I catch myself talking in absolutes. Um, there's the tendency was for most, if, if, if not all brands, to, to be decreasing their footprints before the pandemic. The IDA business was going down. People were generally downsizing. Um, and the $64,000 question, the proverbial one was, well, gosh, you know, uh, what is the size that we're going to need long term? Nobody was talking about long term. I'm going to increase the size. It's we're, we're, we're going to downsize. Now, let me, let me clarify real quick before you do that. Are you talking about the size of the individual footprint of units or the number of yes. units? Uh, the, 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 si the footprint, the, the, size of, yep. the size of the uh, facilities. For new prototypes is moving forward. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. like everyone you saw was, Sam, it was all pre-pandemic. So, sure. you know, so, so the pandemic uh, hastened uh, the adoption of off-premise channels. So... I, I haven't spoken to a peer in the industry uh, whose dining business is higher now than it was before the pandemic. It's all lower, sure. it's just a matter of degree. It has come back up from where it was, but because that it's worst, it was zero if you closed your dining rooms. Yeah, for example, just using some real numbers within the firehouse system. Before the pandemic, uh, our dining business was about 37% of sales. That was down from a peak of 53% in 2012. Steady decline over all those years. It, and, it, and it was still declining at the point of the pandemic. I, I talked about this openly uh, with our franchise community and our operators. I said, look, it's how low was it going to go? I, we don't have quality research that could point to that or predict it. Um, but I knew it hadn't reached the bottom. Pandemic comes, it's at zero. Now it's been building back up. You know, so now it's above twenty percent. Do I expect it to go back up to the thirty-seven percent that it was at? No, I don't, because there was everything societally was was showing the decline. But but embedded in all that is is the issue of restaurant design. How many seats should we be building for? What type of footprint? And those are long-term decisions, and that's what makes this a, a complicated business. And, and in our 
segment where firehouse operates, we got a little bit better because you're not talking about the level of capital investment that you would have if you're doing a full service casual dining restaurant, you know, doing something 4,000 plus square feet. No, we're, for us, it was the difference between doing a leaning towards a 2,000 square foot, 2,200 square feet before the pandemic, and now maybe looking at 1,600 square feet. Now, that's not an insignificant difference, especially when you look at long term and the impact on, on sure. rent costs, the build off costs uh, as, as well. Um, operational uh, cost efficiency in the, in the smaller units. But uh, can, you, can you imagine, and I don't think this will happen, but you think about making that decision for, for us uh, in our system, it's a 10-year franchise agreement. That's about the length of the, uh, of the minimum length of time that you're looking at on the investment. Sure. Uh, again, less than, you're talking about a full service restaurant and piece of real estate where you're 20, 30, 40 years, you're thinking along those, those lines. But uh, don't once you make the decision, you're 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 stuck with it, right. and trying and trying to predict over that length of time how that dynamic's going to change is is uh, almost almost impossible. So, right. and there's new know, variables that are coming into that decision that we really had never thought about five years ago of what might affect consumer behavior. Yeah, not yeah, never never to to that extent. But but again, you know, I I think back to where we were before the pandemic. We I we had already uh, been seeing that decline for the seven almost eight years leading into the, into the pandemic. So we were having those discussions, you know, already about downsizing. Sure. Not even discussions. We had already made some practical decisions the last couple of years before the pandemic to to bring the units down a little bit uh, in in size. But again, the pandemic just accelerated all of that. We had made those moves with, with more confidence, as, as a lot of other brands are. It's, it's not an uncommon theme out in the industry for yeah, people to be uh, just, uh, just designing now for much smaller uh, dining footprints and, and even uh, going to um, you know, increasingly looking at uh, uh, drive-to-only type of concepts. Um, right. Ghost kitchens, some of those as well. All uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk for a second. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you please go ahead. I was going to say the, the, the ghost kitchen uh, concepts are, are fascinating to me. And, and I still think uh, that a lot of learning has got to be got to be done there. I think the challenge with them generally is that um, it's difficult for a lot of concepts to generate the type of volume they need through that single channel of trade. Even though you've got certain economies and efficiencies within within the ghost kitchen, uh, still in, that comes married with a lot lower volume. And right. and, right. I, and I might say it, it, I, it, I wanna, it affords biggest, you the opportunity. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and one and one of the one of the drawbacks that you have is when you don't have the physical space that's visible to the guest, you don't have the same level of brand awareness. Right. So some of right. our some some of the highest volume. Uh, third-party delivery businesses that I've seen are from out of traditional brick-and-mortar locations because there's awareness of the brand in the marketplace generated just by the, the street side presence of the unit. Sure. Take away the street side presence and visibility. And then the question is, well, how, how do you really create the awareness? Absolutely. Let's talk for a second from the consumer's perspective about what's working and what isn't. We, we kind of talked about briefly about all the changes and the expectations on the individual restaurants to be able to provide um, pickup, delivery, app ordering in-house. Let's talk about from the consumer's perspective, 
what's working for them and what isn't and what needs to be fixed. And we don't need to talk about firehouse. We can talk about industry in general. Where are there, where is there some lags in, in adoption of, um, of technologies and behavior that relates to current expectations? What's working for consumers and, and what's, what needs to be repaired? Well, I think there's a lot of things that are working pretty well. Um, I, th I think that generally speaking, from the consumer point of view, third-party delivery services are working pretty well. I think the fact that you've got a, 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 a cost to the consumer uh, I'll say an inflated cost in the sense of with the delivery charges, it's a more expensive meal, but sure. but for consumers where that's if that's in their wheelhouse, you know that that business is uh, maintained at a higher level, let's say than I would have thought it would yeah. at this stage after the pandemic. Uh, there's still a whole a whole conversation to be had about how sustainable that business is for the third party delivery companies themselves. Maybe that's for that's for another episode, probably with a different guest. Yeah, but, but but it's but it's all in, it's it's all interesting. I mean, let's let's stay on that one for a second, because I know one of the challenges for the restaurant themselves is that whole losing control of the last mile delivery, and somebody who has in this age of social proof and and Yelp and everything else, it's a challenge when something comes cold, something goes to the wrong house, and who gets the bad review? It's the restaurant. And they don't control that last mile. How is the industry addressing that? Or there's just an, uh, you know, where, what do we do with that part of it? Yeah, my, my sense of it is that while those problems exist, I mean, they happen, they're not to the degree that it creates a significant barrier to usage by the customer nor a overwhelming tendency of operators to shoo away the opportunity. You know, back at the beginning of uh, third-party delivery, I will confess, this is probably about like 2015, 16-ish, I was probably like a lot of my peers, I was in the camp of saying, oh no, that's, we wouldn't do that, we'll lose control of, you know, part of the experience, don't have the customer data. Uh, we would talk a lot about uh, among peers in the industry, food safety concerns. Right. Yeah, that's understandably because it was new to, to everybody. And we're always used to thinking about food safety is always paramount. And you know, up to the point we give the product to the consumer, we're controlling those elements. After that, that's up to them when they're going right. to consume it, how they're going to consume it. Consume it. But the success, as people in Firehouse certainly found this to be the case, when we started experimenting with it and we saw the appetite among consumers for the service, well, the uh, prevalent thought became, well, we'll figure this out. <laughs> so right. we'll, we'll figure out how to, how to work. Can't afford things. to be excluded from did. Yeah. Be, because... Because for the, the the customer who finds value in 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 that uh, delivery experience, um, yeah, you know the, the the other concerns became secondary and tertiary to it, and so so none of them have been barriers in the end. 
Uh, sure. So we, in a perfect world, would we want to try to uh, improve upon some of those things? Uh, sure, uh, sure we would. But but not but not but I don't uh, I don't spend time uh, losing sleep at night you know, on those on those uh, types of things or thinking that in any way you know we're we're going to turn a turn away uh, the opportunity or not not take advantage of that channel of, of trade because again the consumer appetite for it is. Is, is so strong. I, I think that um, in the end, the, the solutions, uh, the, way to, the, the way to make improvements are, the burden is gonna be more on the third party delivery companies because to the extent that improving those things, even when it comes to providing uh, certain consumer data and so on, to the extent that that makes the third-party delivery company a more valuable partner and puts them in a superior competitive position versus their competition, they'll embrace those things and uh, and and bring about those improvements because they're they're in, at least in the dynamic today that I I I believe they're in a better uh, position to to do it. Um, yeah, and and, and I, I, I do I do think they will over time. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about also changing expectations along those lines, even seeing big changes in what was this historic, very convenient drive-through is even some significant modifications in drive-through. Um, you're seeing with the Chick-fil-A of people taking the order earlier in line, we're seeing lines split into two or around the sides of the building. Um, once again, getting back to the question of sort of what's working uh, and where is the industry changing? Where, what, what do you see next? in terms of the next level of convenience, the next uh, lanes for app ordering and drive-through and, and pickup and delivery and all of those, how far does this go in terms of convenience? I, I think the, the main opportunity is to help the guest, or well, let me rephrase it. We've got to do a better job, the industry, or the opportunities there of managing the guest's expectation. I, th I think when you communicate well, when you manage the guest expectation for the amount of time it's going to take to get their order, and then you and you consistently, consistently execute on your on that whatever promise you're giving to the guest, then uh, that that's the real key to a better experience: being dependable and keeping the guest informed, executing behind. Um, a lot of that require is going to be uh, those are tech. Technology-driven things, but but I don't sure. think it's necessarily uh, what's what's most critical is not being empirically the fastest, right? Right. It's, There's a sacrifice that comes with that inherently, whether it's food right. quality or something else. Is basically manage the part that you can without losing the part that you need. But being being consistent, being dependable, knowing that, or here's a better way of looking at it or of saying it, I think. You've got to understand the consideration set that you want to be in. You know, I um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in terms of, of Firehouse. Yeah. We've made a lot of progress and we're working on a lot of things now to be faster. Probably won't be the fastest just because of the nature of our what it takes to uh, have a steam sub, the, the process by which we, we heat the meat and the cheese and, and so on. Um, 
So it's not important to be the fastest, but we have to be faster because that puts us in more considerations. That's I've often said that with Firehouse years ago, that if a customer had, if they didn't, if they didn't have more than 30 minutes for launch, if all they had was 30 minutes or less from, from the time they leave their place of work or their home to consume it, get back. If you, if you didn't have more than 30 minutes, we, were, we might not be in your consideration set. Well, in any given day for lunch, that's a lot of people in all likelihood in any given trade area. And, and, if, and if that's the proposition, then on any given day, you're, you're getting ruled out by, by people who love you, who love your food, love the experience, but you're not in the consideration set. Boy, you, we'd better really work hard at getting him in their consideration set. And again, it doesn't take being the fastest to do that, but it takes being fast enough. And then consistently executing on it. And, and by the way, uh, you've got to also then communicate it to the guest. Uh, to, uh, it, we've had great success with that with our brand and going, going back to uh, some things that are working well now. What we call rapid rescue, which is our online ordering. Uh, we're through the app or the desktop. Uh, place the order. And you just you walk in, you pick it up and you go. Um, that even though we've got some inherent uh, longer time in our food prep, now I can do that at the same time the person's traveling there. So I can be, in many respects, I can be just as fast and just as convenient as somebody taking advantage of the fastest drive-through uh, that, that's out there. So, uh, so, so for us, that was, that was a game changer. And thankfully we had that in place before the pandemic. What do you think about organizations that um, have internal ideas and concepts? We want to shift towards this. We want to push more, do more electronic, more app ordering and others who through their internal processes and mechanisms really push their customers to those particular devices, as opposed to making them options. I'll give you an example. I was doing, going through a drive-through. They had some breakfast deal of, of two for $2. And I went through the drive-through. Nobody else was in line. It was towards the end of breakfast. And they said, and I tried to order and they said, no, you have to do it through the app. And I said, well, I'm, I'm at the window right now. And they said, no, it's got to be through the app. And I said, well, I don't have that. And they said, well, you can pull over and download it. And I thought, well, thank you for that permission. And so because I do this for a living and because I speak and I consult, yeah. I pulled over in the process. I had to download the app. I had to pull my wallet out. I had to enter my credit card information. I had to put all my, now I understand why they want that information, but for me, it got to the point I would have, had I not been trying to gather info, I would have just driven away. I mean, there's, there's just no point in doing that. I went to a, a breakfast bagel place that will, a national chain remain unnamed, and met a colleague for, uh, to go meet for breakfast. Right. We were just catching up. There were no tables. This was a week ago. And I said, why do you have no tables? And they said, oh, because of COVID. I said, that was three years ago. And they, and they were like, yeah, we don't, you know, I was at another fast casual um, fresh Mexican. And I said, do you have Chipotle? No, we don't have it because of COVID. I said, because of all those, those Cholula related COVID exposures, you know, at, at what point is that going to not be an excuse? But like, anyway, that's me uh, ranting. Yeah. Back, yeah. back to the technology. What do you think about those who, who make you do their technology in order to get what you want? Is that best for us? I, I think that, you know, for any, for any given concept, if their business model is that within 
a certain trade area that they're doing business in, that they, they describe or they define as a trade area for their unit, that there's enough people that are inclined to follow suit with the way they feel it's most efficient and beneficial to the business to serve them. Well, great. Here's, here's the potential drawback. That's their calculus, right? There'll be enough people who will be compliant that it's worth, pardon my language, pissing off the few who, right. who get well, frustrated. And, and you'll get certain efficiencies operationally. I and mean, that's why sure, coming out sure. of the pandemic, there are people that they realize there's efficiencies. I mean, look at, look at the brands that eliminated certain SKUs or reduced the menu they've been afraid Absolutely. of. Absolutely. But now they, they sort of gave them a license too. So great. And they peel back. Um, so where, where people may, where brands may find the biggest challenge is that big picture, what it may do is it may reduce the number of units or the size of the trade areas that you can develop. Because now you've restricted, you, you, you've, you've reduced the number of people that are going to put you in the consideration set, which means generally, I need a bigger trade area. I need I need to increase it. And that has a flow-through effect to how you're going to scale. And, you know, a, a brand that maybe, uh, uh, this is, um, maybe I'm going to exaggerate this a little bit, but but maybe, maybe 10 years ago, a brand might have said, well, yeah, I think I can develop 10,000 restaurants uh, in the U.S. Well, well, now when you go ahead and you restrict your usage in, in these ways, you change the parameters and the rules and you change considerations that, well, now maybe you're only going to be a 5,000 unit brand, really, um, you know, until, until but those, but the people some who, of these behavioral right, things. Do. Right, and the people who patronize those 5,000 units are more profitable. They're more efficient. And that's, I mean, what you're giving us, and for our audience as well, is sort of a peek behind the scenes as to what some of those corporate conversations are that drive those policies and behaviors. And those conversations are going on every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 by, and by the way, um, you know, even, even within a, a country as diverse as the United States, it's, it's, these things aren't monolithic. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stratification within the consumer base and different you know, regionality. Um, it, it's... Uh, very, very, very few things that you can paint with a, a, a such a broad brush and assume sure. that it's the same everywhere. I mean, the, the use of, again, third-party digital ordering is a good example with it, uh, very different in parts of, uh, you know, various parts of the country, the, the West Coast, generally speaking, uh, California, which, you know, higher, some of the higher third-party delivery, um, you know, it's... It, yeah, uh, rural farm communities probably less so. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, and, and for another conversation, we haven't even delved into the, the innovation among um, flavors and the international and how that's driving behaviors and some of the well-known brands, the Bennigans, the, you know, the, the friendlies and the others who are falling by the wayside because we changed. They're as good as they ever were, but we've changed. But there was also something very interesting that I, that I saw um, that there was a tremendous downturn in breakfast cereal sales because how we eat has changed and it's so much more of the grab and go it's so much more and it's very difficult to eat the bowl of cereal while you're driving the car and so they've had different so it but it's all it all feeds into 
how we have changed our expectations, our behaviors, our preferences. And the restaurant industry is one of those that is, is constantly tweaking and constantly evolving. I would love to have uh, another conversation and, and pick this up and talk about where the changes are. We're out of time right now. Um, Don Fox, such a, such a pleasure to talk to you and to be able to gain insights from your vast experience. If people want to get in touch with you, I know that you are, are taking much more of a, uh, a chairman role um, with Firehouse, but broad industry expertise. If people want to reach out to you and, and learn more, uh, how do they reach you? Uh, sure. Um, probably the best thing is my email. It's an easy one to remember, donfox at AOL.com. See, that's I, no, how long. I'm showing, I'm showing what a dinosaur I, I was going to say, I that's how long. But when you get your name, yeah. first and last name, man, Ed, you, know, you can't give it up. Yeah, I, same thing. I own I own Averin.com. I own DavidAverin.com because I did it in the early days back when I was putting my Partridge family 8-track in the machine <laughs> back in the day. Um, listen, hey, Don, th hang on one second. We'll talk on the other side. Um, a big thanks to Don. Uh, I want to remind everybody you can pick up a copy of my new book, The Morning Huddle, Powerful Customer Experience Conversations to Wake You Up and Shake You Up and Win More Business. In fact, all of my books are available on Amazon.com. Be sure to click to like this podcast. Subscribe. You'll get notification of all of the, uh, all the podcasts as they get released. Click the little bell icon. You'll get the notification for that as well. You can learn more about my keynote speaking and my consulting at davidavrin.com. Big thanks to Don Fox for being on the Why Customers Leave podcast. Remember, leave a comment, subscribe. I'm David Averin. Be good. This has been the Why Customers Leave podcast with David Averin. Be sure to leave a comment and click the like button. You can listen to or watch past episodes and be notified of future ones by hitting the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform or check them out on David Averin's YouTube channel. David's popular books are all available online and also in Kindle and audiobook form as well. You can learn more about David's keynote speaking and business consulting at davidaverin.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>